Let us pray. Father, indeed, Lord, in your Son alone, we find our hope, we find our strength, we find our peace, we find our salvation. That's why, Father, only your Son is worthy of our worship. Only your Son, Lord, we want to glory. Only your Son, Lord, we want to put our hope in. Help us this morning, Lord, to to not look for our identity in other things in this world. Remind us that it is Jesus who has paid it all for our sins. As we sing your songs, as we praise and worship you, Father, as we glorify your name, may you be pleased to draw all men to yourself. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have given, you have given us your word as well, that you have not left us alone without any guidance. Indeed, your word is the lamb unto our feet. We don't have to live in darkness, but we can live in the light because you have shown us through your word who you are, who we are, and how we can be reconciled to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. And as we unpack uh, your word this morning, we pray, Father, that your name will be lifted up pray, Father, that you will draw our hearts to yourself. And we'll go out from this place loving you more, knowing you more, obeying you more, and loving one another even more. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. Well, good Morning, it's still morning, five minutes to noon. Good morning, Praise Center. Uh, it's a privilege uh, to minister the Word of God to you uh, today. Um, my name is Sandy, and I, I've been pastoring at Cross Culture Church in the city for quite a number of years now, and, and, uh, and it's a privilege to speak uh, the Word of God to you this morning, and thank you, Pastor Agus and Ibu Lilian, for inviting me, and uh, and. I'm accompanied with my wife right now in the, in the morning service. She wasn't here, so there you go. Get to know her as well if you want. And, and, and maybe I want to thank as well the, the worship team uh, just now for leading us in such a powerful time and meaningful time of praising God or worshiping Him. Indeed, God commands us to sing songs. It's not, it's not like He forces us to sing because He knows when, he's, when we sing songs to Him, not just our minds are open, but our hearts are open as well. The reason he, he wants us to sing songs to him because he knows it's good for us, it's good for our souls, and we get to know him as well as we sing songs to him. Okay, so thank you so much for the worship team. Well, we continue our study in the book of First Samuel, and we are at chapter 2 today. And you have looked at chapter 1 last week. And we'll continue our study. And before I, before I do that, maybe I, I, I want to just quickly mention that uh, and, and if you are here parents, if you are a parent, and also those who are watching online as well, if you are at home with your children, I want to encourage you to read First Samuel with your children. Um, no matter how young they are, you can start. Because book like First Samuel, a narrative book, is, is especially very easy to read together with your children. And you can role play a little bit, you can act it out a little bit. It's narrative, it's story, it's easy to follow. Uh, 
And they will learn to love God's word. They will learn to see that, hey, God's word is actually relevant to my life as well. And you get to show them that God's word is relevant to your life as well. They will learn to love God's word and you will learn to love God's word as well. Okay, so let me encourage you to do that. Let me start with a quick question. Um, If you want to get a group of people to be in your team, if you want to get a group of people to be in your team, what kind of people will you choose? Let's say for your university or your school group assignment or maybe your sports team or your project at work, what kind of people will you choose if you can choose there is? You know, for your group assignment, if you're still in university or if you freshly graduate from university, you still remember the joy and the pain of group assignment. I believe you will choose those who will actually do the work, right? Preferably someone who knows how to do the task. Don't you hate it when you do all the work and then last minute your friends just put their names? And for your sports team, you want to ensure that your team wins. Therefore, you choose the strong ones, the tall ones, the quick ones, the agile ones. And for your project, you choose the smart ones. You choose the one who can help you succeed in life. Now let me tweak the question a little bit. If you were God, if you were God, what kind of human beings are you looking for to join your team? What kind of people is God looking for to join his team? Now suddenly you realize that the kind of people that you are looking for in your team is quite different from the attributes that God is looking for. If you have been Christian for if you have been a Christian for some time, even if you're not a Christian, if you're familiar with Christianity, you know that God is not looking for the strongest, the most beautiful, the tallest, the fastest people. But yet we tend to look, we tend to look for people, we tend to look at people based on their ability, their skills, their talent, based on what they can bring to the table. And that also affects the kind of person that we want to be as well. When you value people based on their skills, you also think that I am valuable only based on what I can bring to the table. That's why today's passage reminds us of what kind of person that God is looking for and therefore what kind of person that we should aspire to become as well. This chapter begins with Hannah's prayer. Now the book, the chapter 2 talks about Hannah's prayer and suddenly we are we, we are introduced to Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and then also Samuel. And the book contrasts the two. The chapter begins with Hannah's prayer, and she prayed this after God was merciful to her and gave her a child named Samuel. Ibu Lillian has covered this last week, I believe. The theologians agree that this prayer is in the form of a poem or a song. So interestingly, we find the, uh, the we find. Another song towards the end of Second Samuel. It is the song of King David. So started off with the song of Hannah and end with the song of David. So the book of Samuel, first and second Samuel, is book ended by songs. So these two songs actually give us a fitting introduction and a summary of the book. Therefore, this prayer that Hannah prayed to God is not just an outcry of a mother to God. It is prophetic. It anticipates what God is doing in the history of Israel as recorded in the first and second Samuel. 
And when you read this prayer, even at a glance, you can easily pick up the big idea, a couple of themes of the prayer. The first one is this, that God brings down the proud and exalts the humble. Uh, Verse 3 says, Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. Verse 2 says that God is holy. There's no rock like God. Therefore, there's no reason for us to to be arrogant. There's no reason for for us to think that we are the best or we are the, the best or we are the greatest because God is the rock. Verse 4, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. You know, the aim of the archers is to injure or to paralyze the other soldiers, the enemy soldiers, so that they cannot charge anymore. But here God is saying that God will break the bows of the archers. And then God will strengthen those who are injured by the arrows so that they can walk again, so that we can charge again. In verse 5, those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, and those, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven. This is Hannah's personal experience. But she who has many children is forlorn. So indeed, God brings down the proud and exalts the humble. And the second key theme, which is very closely related to, to the first one, is this, that God upholds the faithful and opposes the wicked. Verse 9 says, He will guard the feet of his faithful one, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. See, those who are faithful are usually also humble and meek. And those who are wicked are usually proud and powerful. Or at least they have some power over other people. Otherwise, what they are proud of. So if you are familiar with the book of 1st and 2nd Samuel, you know that it's about the establishment of kingship in Israel. We are introduced to Samuel and then King Saul and ends with King David. It is a great story of the greatest king of Israel, which is King David. However, at the same time, the overarching story of 1st and 2nd Samuel is not the story of the strongest, the tallest, or the most beautiful. If anything, the story of King Saul, the story of King Saul shows that the strongest, the tallest, and the most handsome is not what God is looking for. If anything, and, and, and also when, when Samuel anointed David as king, David was the youngest. He was not the tallest or not the biggest among his brothers. When Samuel looked at the first, uh, the first of Jesse's son straight away, Samuel thought, this is it. But God says, no, not that one. Wait. You see, the book of Samuel is the story of how God chooses the weak over those who are strong. How God uses the humble to shame the proud. In fact, we don't have to look too far ahead. King Saul, King David will be chapters after. So we don't have to look too far ahead. In fact, the chapter today gives us a great example of how God opposes the wicked and proud and upholds the humble and faithful. The story of Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and Eli himself, is a great example of how God opposes the wicked and proud. Now, after Hannah's prayer, we are immediately introduced to Eli's sons, and the book does not beat around the bush. Verse 12 straight away says this, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. That's it. 
It doesn't tell you that. Let me tell you a little bit about them. No, straight away, they're worthless. Full stop. Worthless means unworthy, useless, men of no value. And we are told here exactly why they are worthless. It's because they did not know the Lord. They did not know the Lord. Now, I'm sure that they know the Lord in, in a sense that in their head, intellectually, they know the Lord because their father is a priest. But it is one thing to know of the Lord. It is another thing to know the Lord. You know, my wife is a very outgoing woman. She's pretty popular. From young, she was always popular. I'm always this shy guy just trying to hide behind people. She's always popular. A lot of people know her and they only know her based on how she... But, but, they, but they only know her based on how she behaves around them, right? But I, on the other hand, know her much more than other people. Well, at least I hope I do. <laughs> I know what makes her laugh, which is me. <laughs> and, and, and I know what annoys her, me as well. <laughs> and I know what makes her sad. I know what she's struggling with inside, even though... Outside, she smiles and she laughs a lot. Don't get her laugh. Once she laughs, oh, you will hear her from miles away. Anyway, uh, and I know what bothers her. I know what gets her excited as well. You know, other people know her because they see her, they interact with her occasionally, but I know her because I have a relationship with her. I know her because I am married to her. I learn to love what she loves and I also learn to hate what she hates. And I annoy her by Loving what she hates. <laughs> anyway, you see, that's what it means to know God. The word know in the Bible usually means more than just head or intellectual knowledge. It usually means personal and intimate relationships as well. For us, if we know the Lord, it means we open our Bible. We dig into the scripture. We talk to God. We communicate to God through prayer. You have a living and dynamic and rich relationship with God. And the more you know God, the more you learn to love what He loves and hate what He hates as well. Now, of course, God is infinite, therefore, we can never know Him completely, but He has invited us. It is a privilege to know Him more and more. It is a privilege. So, my question for you and my questions to me as well is this Do we know God or do we just know of? Do we know God or do we just know of God? Do we really know God? Do we have a relationship with God or do we just know of God? Because, you know, this Pastor Agus talks about God all the time. So I sort of know Him, but you don't really have any relationship with God. You see, if you only know of God and if you don't really know God, don't be surprised if you will treat God the way Hophni and Phinehas did. These two young men did not care about what God cared about. And they did not honor God. And two things that they did in this passage. Firstly, they did not give God the honor He deserves. Verse 17, Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Now how did they treat the offering of the Lord with contempt? Well, by taking from God what is supposed to be God's. By taking for themselves the portion that is supposed to be dedicated to God. The book of Leviticus gives us a detailed description of the Israelites' Old Testament sacrificial system. The people must regularly sacrifice and offer animals to God, and the priest must conduct the sacrifices. The priest will clean, carve, and burn the animals. 
And God actually looks after the priest by allowing them to eat specific parts of the animals. Now, if you are not a vegan or if you are not a vegetarian, chances are you eat meat or fish or chicken every day. The amount of meat, the amount of meat that we eat in Australia is just ridiculous. When I was in Indonesia, we eat chicken like small pieces, but here like whew, a big chunk of meat every time you eat. But the Israelites, they did not. They couldn't. Only the rich could eat meat every day. But the priest, the temple workers, could because God looks after them. God allocated certain parts of the animals for the priest to eat. God looks after his servants well. However, Hophni and Phinehas were not satisfied with that. They wanted other parts as well. So instead of waiting for their allocated portions, they forcefully pick other meat parts as well. And not only that, it says that they also took the fat portion, even though God had explicitly forbid them to. You know, when I was young in my hometown in Indonesia, in Kalimantan, East Kalimantan, there was one famous restaurant selling chicken satay. You know, if, wherever you are in Indonesia, there, there's always restaurants selling chicken satay, right? And they cook, and this particular restaurant, they cook the satay outside on the roadside. So you could see the smoke from a distance. It's not a house being burned or anything, but the, the chicken satay being burned. And you can smell the fragrance a mile away. And you know, when they cook satay on the charcoal grill, what makes it fragrant is the fat portion of the satay. The as the fat melting onto the charcoal and the fragrance of the burnt fat together with ketchup monies, right? The smell, ooh, I know, right? Ooh, you can, you can almost taste it in your mouth, right? I'm drooling, sorry. <laughs> so, so no wonder Eli's sons took the fat portion as well because, well, that's the good part. But God already said that it belongs to the Lord. God deserves the best portion. So Hophni and Phinehas treated the offering of the Lord with contempt by saying that God doesn't deserve the best portion. I deserve the best portion. They did not give God the honor he deserves. And secondly, they acted actually immorally against the temple servants. Now Eli was very old. He kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Now, the other nations in Canaan also had sacrificial systems. But God has, had explicitly told them not to do it like the Canaanites. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 17, God says, None of the daughters of Israel shall be a cult prostitute, and none of the sons of Israel shall be a cult prostitute. The Canaanites had the practice of temple prostitution. Now the priest or the priestess slept with the worshippers to plead with the gods, especially the, god of, the gods of fertility, to give them favor. And God prohibited all this because it is an abomination in the sight of, the god, in the sight of god. However, Eli's sons treated the female temple servants like the cult prostitutes, like the other nations in Canaan. And Eli, the father, is not much better at all. Verse 23 says this, And Eli 
said to his sons, Now why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now it sounds like Eli was reprimanding his sons. But if you are a father, you know this is hardly a rebuke. This is a son pleading to his son saying, please, don't do it. That's it. This is a weak father who fears his sons more than he fears God. No wonder his sons did not listen to him. And in fact, if you read a bit later, Eli is actually condoning his son's behavior. It sounds like he's rebuking, but actually he's not. God said this to Eli in verse 29. God said this to Eli, not the sons, but Eli. Why then you scorn my sacrifice and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. You see, Eli did not stop his son's behavior completely because Eli himself benefited from his son's behavior. Rather than saying, stop, give that portion to God, he says, can I have some? Chapter 4 actually tells us that Eli was fat. Eli was fat. It was, well, I believe it was because of the much meat and fat that he benefited from his son's behavior. So you see, this is the family who's supposed to be the leaders of Israel. This is a family who's supposed to mediate between God and his people. They are supposed to use their position to serve the people, but rather they use the people to serve themselves. And because of that, God pronounced clear judgment against the house of Eli. Now, what about us? It's easy for us to say that, yeah, these are bad people, such horrible, horrible people. But what about us? Let me ask, ask you two questions. The first one is this. What do you withhold from God that is supposed to be his? What do you withhold from God what is supposed to be his? Eli and his sons are taking from God what is supposed to be God's. But do you take from the Lord what is supposed to be his? God commanded us to love him with all your heart, your soul, your strength. And Jesus also added your mind. But is there any part of our lives that we say to ourselves, nah, this part is mine. I want this for myself. God doesn't deserve this one. This is mine. Is there any part of your life that you want to use it only for yourself? Is it your money? Your time? Your energy? So what do you withhold from God that is supposed to be His? And secondly, how have you, how have you used your position, influence, and resources to, to serve others? Again, Eli and his sons are appointed to, by God to 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 a position of influence in order to serve others, but they ended up serving themselves. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a position or influence in the society. Every one of us, in fact, has influence over someone. Your younger brother, your younger sister, your niece, your nephew, your children, your ministry members, your team members at work, some of your friends perhaps even. And every one of us has resources that other people don't have. These are all God's blessings, but the question is, do we use all of those to serve others? Or do we, are we busy using everything to just serve ourselves for our own pride? Just like God cut off Eli's household, 
God can easily take his blessings away from you because God opposes the wicked and the proud. On the other hand, God upholds the humble and the faithful. We are told how wicked and Eli's sons are, but inserted in between the passage, in between the paragraphs, we are also given a glimpse of another person that God was raising. As God brings down the wicked and the proud, as God brings down Eli and his household, God is raising another person, Samuel. Verse 18 says, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen effort. What a contrast. What a contrast. Eli's sons did not know the Lord. They treated the sacrifice of God with contempt. But here Samuel was ministering before the Lord. It shows his humble stature before God. He was just a boy, but he already ministered before the Lord, wearing a linen effort, just like what priests would wear. And verse 21 says, And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, there are two ways we can grow. Two ways we can grow. You can grow without God's presence in your life. That's the first one. You live as if God doesn't exist. You do whatever you want. Yes, you may become rich, you may become powerful, but in the end, trust me, you will feel empty and you will end up destroying yourself. Or you can grow in the presence of the Lord. You live with a real awareness that God is near, you honor Him, you love Him because you know that He has loved you first. You might not be as rich or powerful as other people, but you know that your life is full. Your life is meaningful. Yeah, you can choose whether you want to grow in the presence of the Lord or you grow without God's presence in your life. And then in verses 25 to 26, we see another contrast. But they, Eli's sons, would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put him to death. Now, the boy Samuel continued to grow, both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with men. Again, what a contrast. Hophni and Phineas wouldn't listen to their father's voice, but Samuel grew in stature before the Lord. God pronounced judgment against Hophni and Phinehas, but Samuel grew in favor with the Lord and with men. So indeed, God opposes the wicked and faithful and proud and upholds the humble and faithful. Now it's easy for us to go home from here and say, Yeah, 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 yeah. God opposes the wicked, opposes the proud, and God and God upholds the humble. Yes, I want to be humble. And you go home, you end up doing exactly the same. Because it's hard to be humble. It is so difficult to be humble. So why is it so hard for us to be humble? Why is it so hard to be humble? Well, there might be a lot of reasons, but I believe one main reason is this. Because we are seeking our worth and our values from within us. Yes, we are seeking values from other people as well, but in the end of the day, we want people to see what we see in us and value that. And that, that is the one thing that makes, us, makes it difficult for us to be humble. Why is it so hard for me to, to be humble and ask for forgiveness? Well, because if I, saw, if I say sorry to him, he will think that he's better than me and therefore I will feel inferior to him. Why is it so hard to be humble and forgive other people? Well, because if I forgive her again and again, she will think that it's okay for her to step on me all the time. 
why is it so hard for me to be humble and allow other people to get ahead? Well, because if I always give away to people all the time, I will never get what I want. And I will never achieve greatness. You see, it's hard to be humble because we think that our greatness depends on us. We believe, we believe that we are what makes us great. We are seeking worth and values from within us. So therefore, we use everything that we have to prop ourselves up and if necessary, to tear other people down. We do it as best as possible to show people and ultimately to show us that we are worthy. You know, when we want to show people that we are worthy, be honest, you're not trying to impress people. You're actually trying to impress yourself. And ultimately, it's hard for us to be humble because we live as if there is no God. Or if we believe there is God, we don't trust that God is good. We don't trust that He will look after us. You see, if, if you believe there is no God, it makes sense that you will think only about yourself. In fact, if, if this earthly life is all there is to it, if this earthly life is, is all there is to it, it doesn't make sense to be humble. If there's no God, being humble is a waste of time. If there's no God, you must take everything you can while you live in this world because this is all there is. But if you know there is God, if you know the Lord, if you know that God loves you and He is good, then it makes a lot of sense to live a humble life. There's, it doesn't make sense for you to take everything you can in this world. It makes more sense for you to look forward to what God has in store for you. So the ultimate evidence that you really know God is your humility. It's your humility. It's your humility that allows you to love others unconditionally. And our chief example of this is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, this particular episode of Samuel's life is, uh, actually points us to Jesus. You know, Hannah's song in this chapter is parallel to Mary's song towards the beginning of Luke. And in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2 talks about Jesus as a boy. Here we see Samuel as a boy. Jesus' parents faithfully went to the temple every year, just like Samuel's parents. Samuel continued to grow both in, sorry, Samuel ministered before God in the temple. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 2, Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Samuel continued to grow both in stature and favor with the Lord and also with men. And Luke chapter 2.52 says, And Jesus increases in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. Coincidence? I don't think so. I think Luke is telling us that if you want to grow in humility and faithfulness, you must look to Jesus. I think Luke is telling us, you remember Samuel? This is a better Samuel. Jesus as a boy, even though he is God, he submitted himself under the authority of his parents, much like Samuel, unlike Hophni and Phinehas. He trusts fully in his heavenly father. And you can read Philippians chapter 2. It's a fantastic text that reminds us of Jesus' humility. You can read at home perhaps verses 4 to 11 yourself. But it shows us that Jesus knows that he doesn't have to prop himself up 
to show he's worthy. He knows that it is more important for him to be considered worthy by his father than by men. So friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, we cannot look from within ourselves to help us be humble. We must look to Jesus Christ. When people hurl insults at you, believe that it is more important to be considered worthy by God than by men. When you are tempted to prove yourself to others, know that in Jesus, God has loved you. He has accepted you. We sang the song just now that no power of hell, no scheme of man can pluck me of his hand until he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. When you are tempted to get ahead of other people, trust that God will look after you. Trust that Growing in His presence is much better than growing in this world without Him. When you're tempted to seek your value from this world, look forward to the reward that God has in store for you in heaven, more than the greatness that you can achieve on earth. All this will help you to grow in humility. And when you grow in humility, well, you might miss out on things in this life. But trust me, your life is full. Your life is meaningful because God and His favor are with you. God opposes the wicked and proud and He upholds the humble and faithful. Now let me quickly say, let me quickly speak to you. If you are not a Christian here or you are watching online, friends, this is actually a very good news because God is not looking for those who are strong, powerful, and perfect. You know you are broken. You know you are sinners. You don't have to pretend to come to God. You don't have to pretend to, to have it all together. Come to Him in brokenness. Come to Him in humility because God looks for people exactly like you. God looks for and welcome those who are humble enough to admit that we don't have what it takes. Psalm 51 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So friends, if you're not a Christian, come to Jesus. He welcomes you and He upholds you. He will welcome you into His family. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, for this amazing news that you are not looking for the the strongest, the most beautiful, the, the greatest, because if you are looking for those, none of us will cut it. None of us, Lord, will cut it. We are thankful, Lord, that you uphold the humble, you uphold the faithful, because our strength is not in us. Our hope, our peace is not in us, but in Christ alone. Help us to look to Jesus all the days of our lives, and that will enable us, that will give us the power to be humble, and to love, and to give to other people generously. Help us to learn, Lord, to, to not set our minds on things on earth, but to set our minds on things that are above to look towards heaven, to to look towards the reward that you have in store for us. Thank you, Father. Help us to cling to Jesus all the days of our lives. In his name.